Hello, college football fans, and welcome to episode 162 of College Football Throwdown. I'm your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined, as always, by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello, Husker fans and college football fans. Hello, everybody. We are College Football Throwdown, a father-son duo here to talk about college football by college football fans for college football fans. And today we'll be talking about our favorite team, the Nebraska Cornhuskers, their game against Michigan State as well as some national topics, including some coach firings and uh, the big games from this past week and what we have to look forward to, and even a little discussion of the college football playoff rankings. Yes, it's becoming that time of year. Some uh, big games uh, every week now. That's right. Uh, But before we dive into all that, we're going to go ahead and crack open a beverage. Uh, I've got one of my Sapporo... Japanese beers here. You got you got to be getting close to the end on that. Um, <laughs> I uh, I have a, a Yingling uh, beer from the oldest continuous uh, brewery in the United States, right here, Pottsville, P- Pennsylvania. L- I love this beer, and uh, don't get it very often in Michigan. But when I'm out east here for the winter. My golly, it's available in Florida. (laughs) Cheers to you. All right, cheers. All right. Yes, so we're going to dive into the uh, Michigan State game for Nebraska. Uh, We did give a prediction on the previous podcast about that game. Uh, I said that we would win in a low scoring 17 to 10, uh, while you said that we would win in a little high scoring game uh, 34 to 21. But Mm -hmm. the final score ended up being. Unfortunately, a Michigan State victory in a low scoring, a 20 to 17 win for them. Uh, I right. should say that I was actually with your brother uh, at the Breeders' Cup this weekend, uh, having some fun. Uh, so I did not get to uh, watch this game much live, but I was following along with the play by play and saw some highlights afterwards. And despite the fact that we were minus three on turnovers and they turned it over zero times. We still were in the game. We had a chance to win at the end. Uh, so right. despite how bad we played, you know, we we were still in it. Right. Well, that's true. Well, and that's the thing. That's why this is a, another one of these games, an example of a game that we should have won, frankly, if we don't self-destruct, right? If we don't induce our own problems. Now, um, now actually, since you didn't watch the game, Two of those turnovers were, were were interceptions, and one of them was a fumble. You know, one of the interceptions was ended up basically being like a punt. Right, I right? saw that. Now, now the, the the reality is that that interception um, wasn't. Uh, I mean, it could have been a touchdown. Don't get me wrong. If he had thrown it to the wide open receiver that was running down the field instead of throwing it to the other team, uh, so it was a physical error on the part of our our quarterback for sure. Uh, and could have been six points for us, but it didn't harm us in the way that maybe other turnovers in previous games might have in terms of, you know, flipping the field. Um, so uh, maybe that wasn't as big a deal, right, in terms of the outcome. Right. Yeah, no, I, I took note of that as well, that it was essentially a punt, uh, though we did miss out on a big touchdown opportunity there. Um, and one thing I was surprised by looking at the stats is that we actually had uh, 
zero penalties while Michigan State had seven for 70 yards. And I don't even know what the last one, the last game Nebraska had zero penalties is was, but I think you have to go back several years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's interesting. And had we won, we would have been talking about that, right? Like we would have, that would have been so, uh, a conversation piece, but, but since we ultimately lost, everybody was looking at the reasons why we lost and not focusing on the fact that, Hey, you know, well, you know, uh, and, I don't want to use the, you know, the refs as an excuse, uh, but um, it really wasn't, it, it wasn't the issue of, of us getting penalties called. It was more about the penalties called against us and just the poor refereeing uh, misplaced uh, ball placement that didn't give us first downs that we should have gotten, um, not stopping the clock uh, and calling a fumble, uh, something, a fumble that was an incomplete pass. Uh, that would have given us 15 more seconds in that last drive and would have saved us 15 yards because, as it was, they called it a fumble, and it ended up being a, a loss of 15 yards where uh, in the recovery rather than um, it being a, at the previous line of scrimmage because it was an incomplete pass, So the, uh, and plus the time clock issue. So there, there were so many botched um, situations, also a, a massive uh, collision Inter, uh, pass interference that was ignored. Um, so there was just a lot of no calls in that game. Uh, so just another example of poor refereeing. And the bottom line is, if you're in the Big Ten as a football team, you need to know that that you're always going to have to overcome poor refereeing for either team. So it's just the nature of the uh, of, of the league's uh, officials for whatever reason. And you better not allow yourself to be in a tight game where the officials get to decide it, because if you do, you're going to be able to point to three or four, um, you know, bad calls that swung the game. So you better win by 10 to, to, to 14 points. Right. Well, and to that point, I know there was a lot of discussion about Michigan state's final touchdown pass, uh, which was ruled yeah. as a pass completion on the field. Then they right. reviewed it and it was kind of clear from the review that, uh, he did not have control of the ball yeah. when he touched the ground. Um, and so maybe it should have been an incomplete pass. Um, but uh, one factor I think the refs took into account was also that our player was definitely holding on to the guy's other arm when he made the catch. So, you know, frankly, it should have been, you know, pass interference or a holding call on us. Uh for that, but you can't like throw that retroactively. Right. So I think maybe they, they thought just cancel it out, say it's a complete touchdown or whatever. No, I, 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 well, they're not supposed to ever make that kind of compromise, right? There's never supposed to be that kind of a trade-off. Well, we know it's not a good catch, but we're going to call it a catch because we noticed that there was some uh, pre uh, um, reception contact between the two players that we didn't notice when it was live. Right. That to me is an unreviewable portion of the play. The thing that's reviewable is, is it a catch or isn't it? And when the, when the uh, video referee expert that they bring on uh, for, uh, as part of the broadcast crew, and he does reviews, you know, every week in college football. And so he's a rules expert. He said it was an incompletion, both of the announcer and the, uh, uh, the play by play and the commentator. Um, a color commentator both agreed that it was it should be a, uh, an incomplete pass, and then they gave him the complete pass and the touchdown. 
Right. So it's just another example of, of how, uh, and, and part of it is, you know, uh, again, uh, w- why are we dealing with such crappy cameras and such, I mean, they ought to have, in, instead of having a little 12 inch camera for the referees that they get to go into this little black, you, you mean know, a monitor hooded monitor. Yeah. 12 inch monitor. I mean, my God, give the guy uh, something that's got some decent size and clarity to it so that he can see it. You know, I don't know. It's just the whole thing is screwed up. And so bottom line is the message needs to be in. And this is basically the message. Although, I mean, you can tell that coach rule has been frustrated because he can now point to basically two three point games that we've lost. Both of which uh, were lost uh, as a result of horrific refereeing calls in tight games, right? Minnesota game. And now this past Michigan state game, but with that Michigan state touchdown, it was a first and 10 They're around the 30 yard line. So even if it was incomplete, they still had opportunities to get the first down and potentially still score there. So oh, they, it they may have. It wasn't like it was a third and long, right? And if they didn't get it, they would have had to kick a field goal, right? right? That, they, that may be true, Alex, except that our defense has been pretty good at thwarting teams from being able to score seven points, right? It's, it's quite likely that might have ended up in a field goal based on our defenses. Even during that game, we had stopped them. They had driven the field on us. At the first drive of the game, and we ended up holding them to three after they marched pretty good, you know, down to around the 20. And then there was another um, a circumstance uh, in the game where uh, they had a drive, but then we ultimately were able to stop them and force them into kicking a field goal. So I, it's not without question, you know, that that they may not have scored a full seven points yeah. on that that's true. Drive. That's certainly true. I'm just saying it's not as consequential of a call as certain other, you know, perhaps botched. Right. Uh, I'm, I would know, agree. Touchdown catches. And then, at, of course, you know, you can't point to the refs when you are minus three on turnovers. Right. That's it, the exactly. Deal. And, 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 and so my, my point in all of this is simply to point out that I like the fact that Coach Rule's message to the team was don't put yourself in that position. Do not allow yourself to be governed by one or two bad calls from the referees because there's going to be. That's the nature of the game. The refs are human. They have a hard job. They're going to miss some stuff. Accept that and move on, right? But that means you have to, uh, as a team, have the discipline to not to you know minimize your mistakes so you don't put yourself in that situation. And if we had just done the things that were available to us, we win that game comfortably. Right. Um, it's self-induced. Another key moment in the game was near the end of the second half, right? We had a nice drive, got down into the red zone area, uh, and then we're kind of uh, botching our opportunities. Uh, and I believe uh, Harburg even uh, threw a pick basically in the end zone, but then it was called back because of a penalty on Michigan state, which gave us a first down, which gave us another chance at, you know, scoring in the end zone and we couldn't do it. And so we were forced to kick a field goal there. Um, But in a game that that, was just before halftime, right. But in a game that's so low scoring, right. You got to take advantage of every opportunity you have to get a touchdown. So the fact we had to sell for three there was really crucial. I totally agree. I totally agree. I was very disappointed, even though it ended up um, getting us to a tie game. 
going into halftime. Right. Um, so, yes, it was not a, uh, a great night for Harburg. Uh, he was 12 of 28 uh, for a total of 129 yards passing it, along with two interceptions. And then we had 154 yards rushing it for a total of 283, while MSU's total was 295. So we actually basically yarded just about as much as them. We actually had the ball for a little bit longer in terms of time of possession. Both teams were bad in terms of third down conversions. Um, One stat that does stand out as different is that we got three sacks on them while they got seven on us. So, you know, you've got to be critical of Harburg in this game, but at the same time, you know, if he's getting sacked seven times and his offensive line is not giving him any protection, you know, uh, any quarterback's going to struggle in that scenario. Yep. Uh, They were basically the formula is out there now to defend Nebraska. Nebraska cannot throw. We have no passing game that is reliable. So you load up to make sure you stop their uh, Nebraska's reasonably effective running game. You know, you just add another guy to the box. You you bring you know extra guys with some regularity at least, and you, you know, and you change up their blocking schemes, confuse them a little bit. If you do those things, and then you you go man on the outside uh, with some regularity, so that you're you're basically daring us to throw it, and then we can't execute. And and in this in this game, we weren't able to execute on that part of the game. You know, if that interception that he threw early in the game, uh, uh, when he missed a wide open receiver. If that ends up being a long touchdown, then they call their defense differently, and obviously the score is different, right? Yeah. So that could have changed the entire complexion of the game if we take advantage of what was available to us on that play. Right. But our quarterback wasn't able to do that. Right. Uh, two points in Harburg's uh, favor for this game, though. Uh, one is that there were several passes of his that were good that were just dropped by our receivers. True. Um, which, you know, is obviously not on him. And then two, uh, he had two spectacular runs that I saw in the highlights. There was one where he got out of a scramble situation, dodged like several Michigan State guys and got a first down. And then the big run in the fourth quarter, which was frankly atrocious defense on Michigan State's part where they left the field wide open and he just ran it for like 50 yards by himself. Well, and he's got, he, I think he surprised him with how fast he was. He like blew by guys, right? Like yeah. once he got his full stride, I mean, he was just flying by people. It right. was pretty amazing. And I saw a comment from Rule that echoed what I've kind of thought this season is that in he's all, he's kind of preparing Harburg for next year, you know, 2024. Uh, as well, you know, so I know some fans are probably frustrated with him, you know, and thinking maybe we should sub in Jeff Sims and stuff like that. But, you know, Coach Rule is thinking long term, you know, and obviously maybe we get in a, a transfer quarterback, you know, this uh, in this offseason, you know, or something like that, because obviously we're not happy with any of our current options. Um, but I like the fact that, you know, we're we're leaning on Harburg's youth and trying to get him the experience he needs to improve himself. Cause he has, like we just said, he has great physical talents um, and has shown good leadership qualities as well. I, I would agree with you. Um, um, and I think that's exactly what coach rule. I mean, he's made the decision. He, he's riding Harburg pretty much to the end of this season. Cause at this point, you know, uh, if you try to, uh, if you're still in that experimental mode, but flopping quarterbacks around, 
uh, you're likely to have to limit your offense, right? I'm hopeful that because Harburg has now played a number of games and has settled into the role, uh, that we might be able to prepare a few new plays because bottom line is the formula is out there to stop us now um, and, uh, and basically make us inept on offense. So we better have some uh, uh, complementary plays to the ones that have been being successful because you can anticipate that this week's game against Maryland, uh, a very similar defense is going to be presented to us. Right. And one other small point in Harburg's favor is that he's clearly tough. You know, Jeff Sims got hurt right early on in the Colorado game after taking a few sacks, you know, and obviously I know not all sacks are created equal, you know, and weird things can happen under the pile or a weird thing with a leg or whatever. Uh, but the fact is that Harburg has taken a lot of sacks, especially here in recent weeks, right? Like that hit that rocked him in the previous game. And he's still, you know, trucking along. So in the Big Ten, you need a sturdy quarterback. You do. Yep. You're going to get hammered. Yeah. No doubt about it. Especially if you're doing what we're doing, which is we're running the quarterback. So not only is he getting the normal hits that any quarterback would get that's, you know, running a, a pro style offense, but uh, our offense is putting even more burden on that quarterback. Yes. So, yes, this was definitely a disappointing game. You know, it was an away game, right? So it was going to be a tough one because we haven't had as much success on the road this year. Um, and now we're well, and facing... it was it was senior day for them, too. There you go. It was, so it's a weird thing. Their last game is not going to be their last home game is at some neutral site or something. So this was effectively their seniors last home game. So um, they were focused. They played very well uh, relative to what I had saw on film and on highlights from previous games and things like that. Uh, as I was looking at them, uh, their receivers and their quarterback, heck they ran a, a flea flicker play with a running back who threw right. the ball. Absolutely spectacular spiral precisely to the receiver in stride. Couldn't have been better. And he did that while, while we had a defender that, that was a, a split second away from knocking the ball down. So he had a guy in his face, and he still made that perfect throw. So Michigan State executed and made plays that allowed them to win that football game. Yes, I saw that one as well. And, you, you know, you can't be too mad if they throw out a, you know, unusual trick play you know, and execute it really well like that, you know, like that's going to catch you off guards. Um, that's true. Now, uh, in terms of injuries, um, one area of concern is uh, Malcolm Hartzog. Uh, he went out injured yeah. in the second half of the game, and Matt Roll said it was unclear whether he'd be ready for the Maryland game. Uh, and then uh, Princewell Umeliman. Uh, <laughs> Uman Yellen. Uman yeah. Yellen. Uh, tough name. Uh, he was in concussion protocol and was absent from this Michigan state game. Uh, unknown if he'll be available for the Maryland game, but we're hoping so. Uh, and then also we did have, uh, Billy Kemp. The fourth was back in this game, uh, against Michigan state, but he is clearly not fully recovered from his injury. Uh, so we yeah. couldn't necessarily rely on him as a receiver. Well, and that's a, that's a mistake that coach rule admitted to after the game, um, he thought, you know what, what I want to do, uh, you know, the, the, the strategy going into the game was we think we have a decent shot at being able to go after the punter 
and block a punt. So that was their goal. And so they went with a, a punt block scheme, which oftentimes if you've got if you've got a punt block scheme up front on the on the on the opposing team's punts, then you're gonna have a safe a guy catching a a, a, a fair catch deep. Because if you're going for the punt, then you don't have any blocks blockers set up, right? So uh, the other team's going to be coming down free, so you might as well just plan on catching a punt and, and a fair catch, and then be done, right? So uh, that's all that um, Billy Kemp did was catch punts, fair catch. He never ran them because he wasn't healthy enough to run them, right? right. So, so he did not want him to have any contact. And after the game, he acknowledged that well, that was probably a mistake. You know, I shouldn't have done that. And uh, you know, I had I had other players that were capable of being a punter or punt receiver who could have been, uh, you know, a contributor for us, who could have ran the football after the catch. But I chose to put Billy Kemp out there instead. And in hindsight, that was a mistake because we were giving up an opportunity to make a play. Right. Yes, so. so hopefully we'll see that change in this upcoming game against Maryland, uh, which is going to be yeah. a home game for us. And Maryland is coming off a tough loss to Penn State, which was 51-15 at home for Maryland. And this will be at home for us at Nebraska. You know, uh, Maryland is an interesting team where they got off to a great start to their season, uh, you know, winning some surprising games. Uh, but then the second half of their season has been rough for them so far. Um, so I believe both teams are five and four. Uh, so we're kind of at similar points in the season and Maryland has to play Michigan next week after playing Nebraska. So it's kind of like their reprieve after being crushed by Penn state and they have to go play another very tough team. Um, right. Well, so they, uh, so here's the thing. They won their first five games. Okay. And then they, um, they lost the last four games and that includes Ohio state and Penn state as two of those four games. Right. So their four losses aren't quite the same as our four losses. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, I mean, they have, they have played some, some real, you know, slobber knockers. And like you say, they've got another one left when they play Michigan next week. So, so, um, uh, this is an extremely talented team, Maryland, with probably one of the best quarterbacks uh, in the Big Ten for sure, and and really potentially even the nation. Right. If Tagaloa uh, was playing with a team that had more talent around him, um, he would have had a, a much more dynamic career and statistical, you know, uh, success. Uh, he has been part of the rebuild of that program by uh, their, their current coach. Right. Uh, to add to that, though, they've also lost to Illinois and Northwestern. Um, Correct. So there are two other losses. And also in that Penn State game, they had four turnovers, which was obviously a factor in their the high score. Um, so it's definitely a tough game, uh, but we are at home, right, which we've definitely done better at. Uh, so far this season, and I do think it is, you know, if, if Illinois and Northwestern could do it, we can do it, right? So I think it is well, definitely a doable game for us to win, Yeah, uh, but it's going to be tough. 
But, you know, we're at this point in the season where we've got them, we've got Wisconsin, and we've got Iowa, right? Which were all tough games, but also beatable teams, right? None of them are, you know, a Michigan or a Penn State, right? Where, where we would say there's very low chance of us winning, right? We have a real chance against all these teams, and we need to win at least one to get to our six wins to guarantee uh, bowl game, right? That's like I said on the last week's podcast, that's my minimum goal for this year. So I need to see that happen. And it would be great to do it in this Maryland game at home. So we have secured that goal before the end of the season. Well, I have to tell you that I thought our best chance was Michigan state. And the fact that we didn't do it at Michigan state now puts, I think the whole winning one more game into a big, big question mark. Because I'm going to tell you right now, uh, uh, Iowa, you know, at whatever they are now, you know, six and three, way better than Michigan State. Uh, Wisconsin, way better than Michigan State. Okay. So the fact that we lost to Michigan State needs to re uh, reset Nebraska fans' expectations of where this team is really at. Uh, that's, that's my opinion. I, I think it was a, it's a huge blow that we didn't win the Michigan State game. Right. I mean, yeah, this past series of three games was our best chance to get to that six wins for sure. So they've, you're right. They've made it harder on themselves. And the fact that the offensive line has suffered so many injuries and is giving up so many sacks, right, is a big problem that's going to come back to bite us, especially, you know, with like Wisconsin and uh, Iowa, right, with their very good defenses. Yeah. Here's the thing. Illinois and Northwestern, you use those two as an example because those are the two losses that might be somewhat comparable to our team. Well, in those two victories for Northwestern and uh, Illinois, um, those teams scored 30-plus points. Are we capable of scoring 30-plus points against anyone who has a decent defense? You know, we can't – I mean, uh, right now it looks like we'd struggle to score 30 points against air. (laughs) <laughs> you know, in a flag football situation. So, so I'm just not sure that we have a quarterback that has the capability of getting the ball consistently to receivers so that we can take the pressure off of our running game. And uh, the, the formula that was, that was demonstrated by Michigan State is a formula that will absolutely shut us down unless and until our quarterback and those receivers can make somebody pay. Well, as a reminder, uh, we did beat both uh, Illinois and Northwestern, who beat Maryland, and Illinois only scored 27 points. It was 27 to 24, so they did not go over 30. So there is hope. There is hope, I say. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to be the optimist here um, and say that even though Maryland is tough, um, that we managed to get out of there with a close win. I think it definitely will be close game, probably an ugly game in certain ways. But, you know, if they gave up four turnovers against Penn State, I think our defense uh, with its saltiness can get a turnover, maybe even a pick six, right? Score some points on defense to help out the offense. That'd be great. Um, And I hope that Harburg, you know, will try to heal up a from all the hits he took this past week and, you know, work on his uh, throwing motion, you know, uh, turnovers has been uh, one of the toughest areas for our team this year. But the fact, like I said, that we had zero penalties in this past game, you know, something good to hold on to 
as we go into this Maryland game. So I'm going to go ahead and predict that we managed to win against Maryland. And I will say that it's still pretty low scoring, uh, but that we win uh, 24 to 21. That's awesome. And I, I hope you're right. God, I wish I had your optimism. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, and and son, I, I want to be there. And maybe it's my PTSD that is kicking in here in terms of, of, of Nebraska, but I, I, I don't see it. I think this is a horrible matchup for us. The weakness of the three, three, five defense is the middle of the field, the passing game in the middle of the field. And I think with this quarterback and his ability to extend plays with his legs, because he's an incredible athlete, uh, is going to make it extremely difficult. The only way that we, so I, I want to give two scores. <laughs> here is here is the score that I'm gonna that you're gonna write down. This will be the one I'll have to live with. Uh, it's gonna be a uh, uh, a Maryland victory, and Maryland's gonna beat us pretty badly. It's gonna be like thirty eight to seventeen. Oof. Okay. Uh, that's what I that's that's what I would predict if you're just asking me to give my objective prediction. If we are going to win the game, uh, then I think the only way we can successfully accomplish that is we're going to have to score uh, more than 30 points. It's going to end up having to be like a 35 to to 31 kind of victory for us where we're able to get a, a pick six or some kind of a turnover that gives us cheap, easy points that are, that our offense doesn't have to score, uh, so that we can, uh, overcome their offense because their offense is going to score 25 to 35 points minimum. Okay. That, that, you know, that's just, I believe that's going to be the way it is. So if, if Nebraska intends to win this football game, they damn well better be putting together a game plan that includes um, overcoming this load up the box and dare us to throw uh, defensive scheme. And that means we have to be able to throw the football. And that means our, our offensive coordinator needs to do a couple of things. We better have a whole series of mid, mid-range, you know, 10 to 25-yard pass plays, mostly um, quick-hitting slants, square ends, simple throws, simple, easy decisions for the quarterback. Either, either he's open or he's not, and, and then – uh, we need to move the chains on third down and longs with that because they're going to stuff our running game on first and second down. I just think we're going to really struggle to move the football against this team uh, on the ground uh, be- because of what Michigan State was able to demonstrate. Um, so I just I really struggle to see uh, without a significant change in our offensive approach uh, I just I hesitate to see how we will be able to get over it. So I'm uh, uh, because <laughs> this uh, that that's what makes me so mad about last week, Alex. We lost a three point game. That's going to be the reason we don't get the six wins. Because had we won that game, then I would have given us a way better chance of winning this one. The the energy and the positive momentum uh, uh, that crowd would have been electric this week in Lincoln. Now. It's, you're going to be able to feel the tension and the stress and the here we go again mentality uh, in throughout that entire stadium. 
unless we have great success early and can build positive momentum, the, the here we go again tension will show up in that stadium faster than lightning. And, uh, and, then, and then we got to go on the road to play Wisconsin. And then we get to play an uh, Iowa uh, a team uh, at home for the last game of the year. And they'll probably be, you know, what would that be? Um, seven and three, right? Or eight and three, whatever that eight and three, I guess it would be. They will likely be eight and three when they come to the stadium in Lincoln. So that's not going to be an easy team to beat, even though I, I actually think we're better than Iowa. But it just frustrates me that we can be this close and we screwed it up. And <laughs> now we've made the hill so much higher to climb. And it, and it frustrates me as a Nebraska fan that we weren't able to do those things. Now, how are we going to do it? Like I said, I think you, you have to run the football uh, wisely and effectively. You've got to have some trick plays. They better be having some fun this week, and, and they better have been working on some expansion to the offensive scheme with some counters and things of that nature that are complementary plays to the ones that we're working so that we can actually do something else on offense. Right. There's my rant. All I right. think the defense will be fine. The defense will will, will do okay, but we're going to give up big plays against this team. Right. Which to your point that you mentioned earlier about, you know, the weakness being the middle of the field for the pass, um against Michigan State, we really shut down their running game. They ran it 31 times for only 63 yards. Um right. but then they passed it for 232 yards. Um, so, you know, we, we have, we still have one of the best rushing defenses, uh, in the big yep. 10 and even in the country. Um, but yeah, the, our pass protection has been, uh, more of a weakness and against this Maryland team will be tested there, but we also know, obviously Tony white knows that that's the strength of their, of their team. So he's going to be leaning in that direction in practice this week. So let's hope that our coaches come with a good game plan and that we're able to, yep. uh, pull off the upset. Yes, I, I'm just bummed that, that we're getting this bad ma matchup for this moment in time. I, I thought we had a good matchup last week. It was away from home. We got unlucky in that it was a, a game that, frankly, Michigan State played as well as they have played all season, and it was their senior night. So they had all kinds of motivation and things of that nature. So they just rose to the occasion, and we didn't. Um, now we're going to have a quick segment on the Nebraska women's volleyball team, right? Which is continuing their trek of being undefeated and the number one team in the country. Uh, but that was severely tested this past week because they played an away game against Penn state, which I got to watch, uh, live on TV. And we actually went down a two Oh, uh, the first set was really bad, really brutal. Uh, second set, they fought back and it was only, I think a 23, 25, uh, loss, maybe 22. Um, so it was closer. Yeah, 25, 23. Right. Yep. And then we kind of came back and did something similar where we really dominated them in the third set. It was closer in the fourth set, but we still won 25 to 20. And then we got to the fifth set where we got off to a strong lead of four or five points, uh, but then let them kind of slowly crawl back. And it ended up being another tight one, like with the uh, Wisconsin game where we won 15 to 13. Uh, so once again, showing that these girls, uh, though they have issues and they're young, right, and they make some mistakes, we had plenty of service errors in that game. Apparently some of the players were sick as well, so we weren't playing our best, especially at the beginning. But they have that grit, and we fought back and uh, managed to beat them at 
Penn State with a sold out crowd, you know, highest attendance they've had all season, that kind of thing. So exactly. That's really the the crux of it. We have a very young team and they went into the Nittany, Nittany Lions den <laughs> and <laughs> they encountered a whiteout, which was frenetic. Um, one of our assistant coaches, Kelly Hunter, who played at Nebraska and won two national championships for us as our setter, um, said that's the loudest that she's ever uh, heard anywhere uh, in her, you know, career as a player uh, or a coach. And uh, which means it's louder than Devaney. She ever experienced Devaney and, uh, you know, louder than Wisconsin when they played there and national championships that they played in. That was the loudest she'd ever experienced. So that, that environment with all those damn white pom-poms, can you imagine trying to focus on serving with, with all those, you know, uh, pom-poms in the air, um, and people screaming and stuff. I mean, it was, it was pretty impressive, uh, the environment that, and they came out and played virtually flawless volleyball in the first set. Uh, Nebraska actually did not play that poorly in terms of their passing numbers or their uh, offensive, you know, uh, efficiency numbers were pretty typical, um, maybe even a little higher than their, than their, um, you know, uh, season averages. But, but uh, Penn State played almost perfect and, and, you know, hit for nearly 500 hitting percentage, right? Right. (laughs) I mean, it was just crazy. So that, that, that particular set was going to, was a foregone conclusion. And, 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 you know, coach needed to just keep the girls' heads about them to say, hey, stay with this. It's going to be fine. You know, they're going to, they're going to revert back to the mean. They're going to, they can't keep this up for the whole five sets. Right. And sure enough, he was right. Um, but, um, we had to fight our way back and that, that third set was very, very telling and, and a, a great demonstration of, of the leadership that our, that our team has. And the, like you said, the grit that they are able to, you know, summon when they need to, but boy, it, it doesn't bode well for, you know, when we compete against some of the other premier teams, in the country, particularly Wisconsin, when we have to play them in a few weeks, but it was a it was a a great learning experience, that, and that that will pay dividends for them as they move forward in the season. Yes, and a quick shout out to uh, Merritt Beeson, who was critical yeah. in that win over Penn State in terms of the amount of uh, kills she had, and she was also one of the clutch players for us in the Wisconsin game. So she's really emerged yep. here recently as one of the the most important players on the team. Well, she, she, yeah, she struggled a little bit early in the season, but pretty much late in the uh, uh, non-conference season and throughout the big 10 season, she's been our rock. She's a great leader. Um, and for a first year player, even though she's a junior, she's, she's the one transfer that we did uh, take uh, uh, this year uh, because we had a, a, a player who, who, uh, uh, you know, temporarily stepped away from the game. Um, and so we had uh, a position available, if you will, and Merritt was able to fill that role. So we're blessed to have, have had that happen to us because she has been a godsend. She's phenomenal. There you um, go. It's, it's, and you want to talk about the corollaries between what we want to see in our football team, Alex, and what I want to see happen this week against Maryland in football and what you see from this volleyball team. It's about it's about you know acknowledging the standard of play that you have to have and then having your players rise to that occasion and do it 
you know, I mean, I, I can't imagine a, a John Cook coached volleyball team having a, a massive, massive problem like turnovers, right? <laughs> and have it persist the entire year, right? Like that would get addressed at some point. So when is that going to get addressed for the football team is the question. That's the kind of mentality that we got to get into our culture in football. Yes, that is very true. Um, now switching over to the national side of the football discussion. Uh, obviously, in Week 10, there were a lot of big games and some surprising upsets. Um, one of the big ones uh, was Washington versus USC, big game in the Pac-12. Um, we gave predictions for that particular uh, game, and I predicted that uh, Washington would win in a bit of a high-scoring game, 42-35. to 35. You predicted they would win a little lower scoring, uh, 35-24. Uh, but the final score ended up being even more high scoring than we thought. Uh, <laughs> yes. 52-42, to 42, uh, USC lo- losing at home to Washington and then uh, losing their defensive coordinator afterwards, who was fired after the game. Well, that's because there was that is the no defense league. Like, I mean, <laughs> you know, when you look at those scores, I mean, Stanford, Colorado score comes to mind. I mean, all of a sudden, there's no defense being played in that in that conference. Um, well, not all of a sudden. That's always been the case. Well, I know, but I mean, it seemed like earlier in the year, maybe there were a couple of teams that looked like they might have had some pretty salty defenses. Right. But all of a sudden, everybody and their brother is scoring right and left. It's crazy. Uh, and that, yeah. Uh, but disappointing... I mean, USC's got to be disappointed, right? They had the Heisman Trophy winner returning, quite a bit of offensive talent, and it's not like they haven't recruited well the last couple of years. Uh, they've had very good recruiting classes, so they don't they don't lack for talent, which is probably why that coordinator uh, was, uh, uh, you know, removed after this last episode. Yes, well, you'll recall that you and I were surprised that he wasn't fired after last year because it was clear yeah. that, you know, they had the same sort of thing, an amazing defense, but a, or I'm sorry, an amazing offense, but a defense that right. gives up just as many points and leaves them in these close games, you know, and their bowl game was a similar thing, I think, where they gave yes. up a, a load of points. Right, right. So, yep. So it was inevitable, right, that this was going to happen. So, yeah. And just like we said last week, you know, when talking about Tony White, and uh, I was worried about a job like this becoming available. Uh, USC uh, obviously is an, a very attractive school, and he is a West Coast guy in a lot of his past. And so, um, <laughs> hopefully, the winner in Nebraska won't be too terribly bad. And uh, the relationship that Rule and him build will be such that he'll want to stick around Lincoln and uh, follow through. But I think Nebraska is going to have to give him one heck of a pay raise. Yes, I think, yes, the university should definitely be willing to cough that up. And you had also mentioned last week that if he has head coaching aspirations, it may make more sense for him to keep developing at Nebraska, you know, and try to go for the bigger jump in salary and, you know, prestige. Right. I I agree. And so I think that, uh, I'm hopeful that that's the mentality and the approach that, that he's looking at and that Matt, you know, will also be talking with him about, right? Uh, but he will mo- most certainly be on the radar for USC. And, and USC is just the first. You know there's going to be a number of both head and 
coordinator roles that are going to open up here in the coming weeks. We're already hearing rumblings of coaches who still have their jobs, who are getting, uh, you know, uh, have the, the, the proverbial discussions about who's going to be their replacement is already underway. And I haven't really heard about who's on the short list for Michigan State. I mean, they've had an opening and Northwestern has had an opening since basically the beginning of the season. And um, I really haven't heard much nationally about who those candidates are going to be. Yeah, that's a good point. I think I shared with you uh, some website that was doing betting odds for coaches getting fired, you know. So uh, (laughs) it's become quite a a talking point just to uh, speculate on what's going to happen there. Right. Um, But quickly talking about the USC-Washington game in general, because I watched the highlights of the game, um, when you combine the two teams' uh, total yards, it add up to almost 1,100 yards. So uh, a lot of offense on both sides. And Washington actually made more mistakes. Uh, Both teams basically gave up a touchdown through a turnover, and then Washington had one more later on in the game, but they still managed to win. And a big part of that was that their running back, Dylan Johnson, had 256 yards rushing it in this game. So had a stellar night. Right. So here's the thing. I, uh, I, I, I'm going to say this because I know you were with my brother, AJ, and, uh, you know, he's a huge fan of defense and just absolutely despises this, you know, basketball on grass running up and down the field. And, and, you know, I, I gotta say, I watched parts of this game, but I faded away and got distracted throughout these games because it wasn't entertaining. I mean, it was like no defense at all. Like these teams are just moving down the field on each other and it just couldn't capture my attention, you know? So for all these people that talk about how more offense is better, I think that was a great example of a game that I frankly thought was kind of boring because it was like, this is ridiculous. Right. Well, right. Is you could see the discrepancy because, you know, Iowa, right, has been railroaded by the media and a lot of fans for how low scoring, you know, their offense has been and how low scoring a lot of their games are. For example, this week they beat Northwestern uh, 10 to 7. Uh, exhilarating game, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's bad both ways, right? People don't like games that are overly defensive and have bad right. offense, but. You know, having no defense and only offense, I agree, also gets boring, but it's more that if you're weighing those two kind of bad options, more offense is definitely the more popular choice than no offense, right? (laughs) Right. No, absolutely true. I will agree with you, but it just, it was just, it struck me because I was thinking about you and you and AJ there at the uh, Breeders' Cup. Yep. Um, the other game we gave a prediction for was the big one in the SEC, Alabama LSU. Uh, I predicted that Alabama would win 38-21, and you predicted uh, 34-21, so we were pretty close there. And it being a bit higher scoring, uh, 42-28. Um, it was a home game for Alabama, and it was, uh, it was a pretty back-and-forth battle. It was actually tied 21-21 at halftime. Uh, but Alabama started to kind of take control in the second half, and LSU threw a uh, a really critical pick around their own 30-yard line in the fourth quarter, uh, plus their quarterback got hurt in the fourth quarter. So at that point, it was kind of, you know, their chances for a comeback were very low. Yes, I would, I would agree. 
Oh, man. <laughs> uh, are you bummed that Nick Saban didn't lose? Uh, no, no. Uh, well, you know, and th- that whole quarterback controversy, right? The 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 play, I mean, it was uh, oh, right. it was a, targeting uh, and it was a well, uh, no. roughing. It was not targeting. Right. right, it was roughing the passer. It was roughing the passer, but they, they didn't call targeting and the LSU fans are very angry about it and, you know, trying to use it as an example of how, you know, even in the SEC, you know, there's there's some issues with refereeing and, you know, the variation on some of these very difficult calls. Um, right. And well, that roughing the passer keeps showing up. That one, I, I don't agree with them. That was not targeting to me. I watched I watched the highlights of that one. So I saw that play. Okay. I don't think that was targeting. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe I, I'm not even sure if people were arguing that it was targeting. They just thought it was dirty. Well, that may be, you know, and I could, I, well, I was watching it. I could see the argument for like that there should be something more severe than roughing the passer, right? Because the quarterback is so important, you know. So, frankly, right. if you're looking at it from a strictly pragmatic point of view, a team like LSU is willing to take a 15 yard and an automatic first down if it takes their the enemy's quarterback out of the game, right? That That's huge, right. way more important exactly. than 15 yards. So maybe exactly. there should be a penalty that's more severe between, like, you know, roughing the passer and targeting or something along those lines. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. I could see an argument for that. One of the other big games from this past week was uh, Texas versus Kansas State. Um, it was a home game for Texas. And oh, they yeah. ended up winning uh, 33 to 30 in overtime. Uh, and frankly, probably a frustrating one for Kansas State because uh, Texas had three turnovers and a blocked punt. Um, but Kansas State uh, missed on some of their own opportunities, including a 27 yard field goal in the fourth quarter that their guy just missed. Uh, thankfully, they got the ball back. And he kicked a 45-yard field goal to tie the game. Uh, Right. But then it got into overtime. Texas kicked a field goal. And Kansas State went for it on a fourth down in overtime, basically, you know, trying to go for the win, right? Maybe, A, because, you know, they know that uh, it's going to be tough to beat Texas in overtime. And, B, you know, their field goal kicker missed a short field goal earlier. So maybe they're not super confident in him actually making it to tie the game. And they didn't get the fourth down, so right. And uh, and I didn't have any problem with uh, with the decision to go ahead and go for the win. I mean, you're on the road; it's at Texas Stadium, if I remember correctly. Yep. Um, and um, you know, you've come back, right? I mean, Texas had a big early lead. Yes, they did. Um, so so you've expended a lot of energy just to bring yourself back. You know, when you're always fighting the uphill to get back to even, um, that's always a tough climb. Right. So, so I don't know that you want to go into multiple overtimes in that environment. So I get the decision by the coach to go for it on fourth down. Right. But, uh, the play calls that he made on third and fourth down or his offensive coordinator made on third and fourth down are the, the issue I have with, with what they ultimately decided to do. Mm. There you go. And this one, I didn't watch through the full uh, recap of it, but I saw kind of the score and it was interesting. Uh, Number one, Ohio State, which we'll talk a little bit more about the playoff rankings later in this 
podcast. Uh, they were playing against Rutgers at home for Rutgers, and they ended up winning that game 35-16. to 16. Uh, But I believe they're actually down in the second quarter uh, by a little bit, and it was, you know, tougher than you'd expect for them to uh, pull that one out. But you, what you got to understand about Rutgers is their coach was Dave's defensive coordinator. Ah. Okay. So uh, he knows them well, right? Shiano, Greg Shiano. And so you, you had to know that he was going to have a good game plan for Ohio State. He knew uh, somewhat because he's only been there at Rutgers for a couple of years. He knew his personnel. He knew uh, their their offensive tendencies probably more than the average coaching staff would. And so I expected Rutgers to play pretty well. And frankly, Rutgers also was similarly um, made things difficult for Michigan for the better part of a half. And then eventually gave up, you know, gave in and, and ended up being a fairly lopsided final score. But uh, so Rutgers has got a pretty salty defense. And so that doesn't completely surprise me, but I guess I would agree that I feel like all year Ohio state has struggled to have the kind of overall team dominance that you might expect of a top five team. What I mean by that is kicking game defense offense, all being dominant collectively. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and similarly along that vein, uh, the number two team in the country, Georgia, was playing against Missouri. It was a home game for Georgia. And I recall you saying on the previous podcast that you thought uh, Mizzou didn't really have a chance in that one, that Georgia would take control. Uh, But it was actually quite a back and forth game. Uh, Mizzou was actually in the lead at certain points or was tied with Georgia. Um, But then they had a a late interception that gave Georgia easy – easy field uh, position that led to a touchdown that kind of sealed the game away, but uh, they fought them close. Yeah. Well, and, and uh, again, surprised, I have to acknowledge because I really felt like the previous week that Georgia had kind of started to turn the corner and maybe their, you know, their offense and, and defense also, but, but particularly offense was starting to gel. And uh, and that they were going to be a very difficult team to stop from here on out. But then they, yeah, they looked very human against Missouri. And like you say, that was a home game for them. Mm-hmm. And so, then yeah. this is one I know you were happy to see. Uh, Indiana playing at home managed to beat Wisconsin 20-14. to 14. Um, Wisconsin did have one fumble in the game that obviously impacted them. Uh, I believe it was while they were on a, a successful offensive drive. Uh, but overall, there wasn't anything super crazy. It was just really well played by Indiana and their coaching staff. Right. right. And Indiana is another one of these teams that I think is like two and six. So pretty surprising result, frankly, and just shows you that, you know, there's uh, there's always going to be some struggles when you're trying to change things the way that they are trying to change things. You know, they're trying to change their identity and an identity that Wisconsin has had for you know, decades, right? And now they're trying to implement an offense that's very different. And as a result of the offensive change, it dramatically changes your defense and how much time they spend on the field and and just the overall. And so getting that all to happen, it isn't happening. And then they, like us, have experienced some, some really significant injuries. Um, and so it's not a complete surprise that Wisconsin 
lost that game, but it's still, um, I think probably a great disappointment for their, their fans and their team. Yeah. And then, uh, we had a bedlam this weekend, Oklahoma versus Oklahoma state. And I recall you saying on the previous podcast that that's a, you know, crazy rivalry and the best team doesn't always win. And Oklahoma State actually had uh, quite a winning streak going against Oklahoma for the past few years in that rivalry. And it was a home game for Oklahoma State this time, and they managed to win once again, 27-24. Uh, to 24. Uh, Oklahoma yes. did not play their best. Uh, they were down 3-1 to one on the turnover battle. And uh, Oklahoma State had some amazing catches by their receivers. You know, they were clearly playing well. That crowd was sounding real loud in the... Uh, TV speakers from what I could see. So uh, great energy to propel them to a win. And I was kind of under the impression that Oklahoma state had done pretty bad this year, but they're actually only six and two no. going into this game. So right. Not bad no, at no. all. They're, exactly. No, they're, they're one of the, and actually now you, you look at it and there's a huge log jam now within the uh, big 12. Yeah. There's a bunch of teams within basically one game of the lead. And, and, you know, it's going to be interesting. I, I mean, Texas, if, if Kansas state had beaten Texas, boy, that would have been huge. Uh, but as it is now, uh, I mean, you got Kansas state, still a very good football team, Kansas, very good football team, uh, Oklahoma state, Oklahoma, Texas, all right there within one. Uh, so it almost looks like the West division of the big 10, <laughs> only those teams can score. yes big difference there uh yeah and then this was an exciting one as well uh clemson playing against notre dame uh notre dame being ranked 15th in the country so they were definitely the favorites Uh, but it was a home game for clemson and uh frankly uh a lot of the credit for that victory of 31 to 23 goes to their defense uh because clemson's defense got a pick six on notre dame and forced them to kick three field goals uh, meanwhile, Clemson's offense gave up their own pick six, right? To kind of balance out the scores. Uh, Clemson's defense even got a, a pick with just two minutes left to go in the fourth quarter. And then Clemson's offense very kindly fumbled it back to Notre Dame to give them another chance, only for Clemson's defense to uh, shut them down and uh, manage to close out the game. So showing some of the ugliness on their team, right? Some of the, the faults that Clemson's had this year, uh, but they managed to pull it out. Right. Well, and, and again, that's a game that Notre Dame needed to win, was expected to win. That's a, that's a huge, huge disappointment for Notre Dame's team and changes the outlook and trajectory of their season. Um, so uh, I don't know what Notre Dame's got left in terms of games they have to play, but um, in these last three weeks of the season, but that, that really, really takes a big chunk out of their, uh, you know, hopes for, uh, um, you know, being a part of the playoff. Notre Dame looks like they do have a bye this week, late bye. So they play Wake Forest and Stanford. Those are their remaining games. Okay. Well, so not not too bad then, right? Right. Uh, but here's a quick fun question for you. Uh, right. The final score was 31-23. When do you think that score was reached in game in the game, in game time? I, boy, I'm just based on your question, I'm going to say it must have been early or something. Was that like in the third quarter? It was. It was. There were six minutes left in the third quarter. Um, so the 
half of the third quarter and then the entire fourth, there were no points scored, which is pretty crazy wow. in today's day and age. It is. The fourth it quarter is. is when lots of points get scored, typically. Right. No, you're absolutely right, Al. And and uh, if, uh, you know, usually what precipitates that is really bad weather, right? Like a, a situation where you had maybe better weather early in the game, and then as the game progressed, it just got uglier and uglier and uglier, then that happens, right? Right. But, but if it's not a weather game like that, that is an unusual stat. Yep. Interesting. It wasn't a weather game, and to your point from earlier, in contrast to the USC-Washington game, it was a game with where both defenses were playing pretty well. Right, right. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Another exciting week in the world of college football, and uh, coming up in week 11, we've got some other exciting games. Uh, the biggest one being Michigan versus Penn State. Uh, it is a home game for Penn State. Obviously, they're coming off of that big win versus Maryland. Uh, Michigan beat Purdue this past week by a big score as well, so both teams obviously playing well. Um, you would expect that Michigan should win. They're the favorite. They're the one of the top teams in the country. Um, but I will say in Penn State's favor, A, it's at home, which is always a good factor for them, and B, uh, they've played a tougher schedule so far because you'll recall they played against Ohio State earlier this year and lost to them 13-20, to 20, whereas Michigan uh, hasn't played as tough of a schedule. Uh, you know, they've got Penn State – and then they've got a weaker team and then Ohio State right at the end of the year. Um, so because Penn State has kind of encountered more adversity so far in their season, I wonder if they may uh, take Michigan by surprise, especially if they are looking ahead to that Ohio State clash and not giving Penn State their 100%. Wow. Okay. Well, um, my thoughts on that are a couple of things. One, Penn State's defense is for real, right? Like they're one of the better defenses probably in the country. Um, so you never count that out, right? Um, it is at home. However, I think it's huge that this game was chosen as the big noon, you know, uh, uh, kickoff game for Fox rather than being a night game. Because if that was a whiteout game at night um, at, at Penn State, um, I would have been absolutely ready to jump on board and say this is this is a circumstance where Penn State, you know, dominates and just overwhelms, right? That crowd just goes nuts, and it's an amazing atmosphere, and it's hard to win in that situation, especially for a team that's never maybe gotten hit in the mouth like at least you might hope Penn State's going to be able to do uh, to Michigan. But I think because it's at noon, uh, I, I think Michigan has been gearing up for this. I think the us against the world mentality that Michigan has with all the outside distractions and stuff has actually allowed all those players to truly just lock in on their brotherhood and lock in and focus and say, you know, it's about what we're doing. It's about us. And uh, um, they will be very focused. I would be shocked if Michigan doesn't play well. Right. Okay. So, if this, if this is going to be a Penn State victory, they're going to have to play really well because they're going to play a Michigan team that's not going to stumble in there and get surprised. Uh, I think Michigan will be very, very prepared for this football game. Okay. So, with, that being, with that being said, we're going we're gonna to make predictions on this? Yep. Okay, I'll let you go first. All right. <laughs> well, 
I can see where the tone of this conversation is going. So I'll be the, the no, upset no. guy no, no, no. here. Don't, no, don't, don't do that. Just, just make your own choice. Well, well, that's what I'm saying. I'm sticking with Penn state. I think even though it's not a night game that they'll, uh, they'll manage to surprise Michigan and pull it out. I think it'll be close, you know? And like you say, I think they'll have to keep it lower scoring. Uh, cause Michigan probably has more offensive potential, you know, at their peak performance. Um, so I'll say that Penn State manages to win, uh, let's say, 27-24 over Michigan. Okay. Well, so here's my thoughts. My thoughts are that if um, if Michigan, uh, or I should say if Penn State is able to stop Michigan's running game and kind of force Michigan to change tactics, change their game plan because their initial game plan doesn't work and they're not able to establish the run and just be a bully like Michigan likes to do, um, then um, then your, your thought could absolutely come true. But I believe Michigan will be able to establish the run and they'll be able to grind out some points. I think uh, Penn State challenges what what is their offense going to do because they they have had trouble throwing the ball down the field this this season they're they've got a good running game not a great running game they've got um uh a, you know a good quarterback who's heady and athletic but um they don't have a stable of receivers and and such that allow them to just you know blow the doors off of everybody so i think that's going to be the difference in the game is uh, Penn State's offense not quite being able to to consistently move against Michigan's defense. Although you know now that Michigan doesn't have the sign stealing thing going on, maybe their defense won't look so great as it has in the past. <laughs> uh, I don't know, but uh, you know, short of that kind of uh, uh, element that I can't fully grasp, um, I think Michigan shuts them down. I think it ends up being a relatively low scoring game. Uh, and, and I'm, I'm going to predict a, uh, Michigan victory. Um, and it's going to be, uh, 27, 21. Okay. I like it. Um, and then, uh, another big game in the PAC 12 is, uh, Oregon versus USC. Uh, it's a home game for Oregon and obviously USC is coming off of the tough, High-scoring loss to Washington, and as well as the loss of their defensive coordinator. Uh, so it's kind of questionable, you know, if they'll really be bringing their A game uh, to that game. Uh, so I'm going to predict that uh, it will be still pretty high-scoring, right? Because that's what happens in the Pac-12. Uh, but that Oregon should be able to win it pretty solidly. Um, so I'm going to say it ends up being uh, 52 Oregon to uh let's say 31 usc mm. wow okay um i'm gonna say it's a little lower scoring i don't think oregon's gonna score that many points uh they might certainly but i don't think they will um so i'm gonna say it's gonna end up being 45 to 28 uh oh also oregon I like it. Um, and then we're just going to go over 
quickly some other big games going on this past week or this next week, I should say. Uh, Washington is playing against Utah. It's a home game for Washington. Um, they're still undefeated, mm. so they've got a few tough games left in their schedule, but they're on track to be the Pac-12 champion this year uh, instead of Utah, yeah. who has had it for quite a while. Right. Interesting. Yeah, and I, uh, you know, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Utah and their coaching staff, but that game is at Washington. Washington's coming off of the big uh, USC victory, so there's a chance for a little bit of a letdown by Washington. You know, where they're um, um, maybe got a little hangover from their their USC victory, right? Yeah. Uh, so I could see this one being a dogfight um, because I just have a feeling. Utah is going to try, you know, they're, they're going to be, they're not giving up, right? They're going to be fighting all 60 minutes. Yeah. So that's going to be an interesting game. I think it's going to be close, but again, high scoring. Yeah. And then um, this is actually a, a game from last week that we did not talk about because um, they're not, you know, as relevant of teams, but uh, Florida played against Arkansas this past week and ended up losing to Arkansas 39-36 in overtime. And it was a home game for Florida. So definitely a very disappointing loss for that fan base. And now they have to go and play LSU at home for LSU this upcoming wow. week. So Wow. Well, see, and they were they were really high on Florida's, you know, n- has a relatively new coaching staff and was moving in the in a positive direction. But all of a sudden, that looks like that's been uh, – limited let's say this season you know miami lost again last week too mm. oh, i'm pretty that sure one. and well i'm they, pretty sure they have to play against florida state miami right <laughs> so they're in a in a, a potential you know free fall a little bit like usc yeah uh yes miami lost to nc state 20 to 6 yeah 20 to 6 mm-hmm Oh yeah, that's that's complete free fall. <laughs> I didn't I didn't realize it was that bad. Yeah. Twenty to six. Holy cow. Okay, that guy's in trouble. <laughs> I mean, as good as I'm serious. And isn't he in his like his second or third year, right? He's the guy that came from Oregon. Yep. Uh, he was a, oh my God. <laughs> yep. He's, Jeez. Yep, he's in his second or third year. And I'd mentioned, yeah, that you know, that's yeah, his thing is that he's a great recruiter, but not so great at the X's and O's. Right. I mean, you can't do that. If he can't get those guys cranked up and ready to play this week, Florida State could crush them and would love to do nothing better than to just put half a hundred on them and just beat the snot out of them. And that might be the end for the uh, uh, Miami faithful. You know, they might say, okay, you're done. All right. Uh, Because they don't have patience like Nebraska fans. (laughs) Yes, no, it is the most patient of fans. Um, and then this is another big one, a uh, top 10 matchup, uh, number two, Georgia playing against, uh, Ole Miss. Uh, it is at home for Georgia, but their game against, uh, Missouri this past week was also at home and Ole Miss is coming right. in with only one loss to Alabama from earlier in the year. So a definite challenge for the Bulldogs. Definitely. And, um, I, I haven't watched, I mean, from beginning to end, enough Georgia games to really get a sense for where they're at defensively. But I, I know they should be and, and, and are certainly talented, loaded with talent on defense. But the question would be, are, are, is this going to be a little bit like the Alabama Ole Miss game, right? 
where basically Alabama's defense uh, kind of put a put a limitation on Ole Miss's offense. Yeah, I, I would predict that would happen again, and that Ole Miss would maybe be competitive, but but still not quite there because the the, the George defense will just shut them down. Yeah, well, and also looking at Mississippi's schedule, they they have won a lot of games close. For example, got Texas A and M just last week. They last won week, 38, yeah. 38, 35. Uh, previously, they had close games against Auburn, Arkansas, and LSU. Um, so yeah, I think Georgia should be able to handle this, but uh, you know, hopefully Missouri woke them up, you know, to the fact like, hey guys, we got to play better than this. Right. I think that's will ha- that will happen. Yeah. Um, and so as a final point of discussion for us, um, we want to briefly mention the college football playoff rankings. Uh, they began last week officially, and now here we are in week two of their uh, of the rankings for this current season. And they didn't really change much from week one to week two. Um, the top five teams are uh, Ohio State, Georgia, Michigan, Florida State, and Washington, the five currently undefeated teams. Um, and I took a quick peek at the schedules, right? And so Washington does have some tough teams left, right? Like they're playing Utah this week, and I believe they play Oregon State the following week, who's doing well this year. Uh, but then Florida State has a pretty uh, a pretty easy remaining schedule. You know, they've got Miami and Florida uh, left for them. I know both of which, right, are kind of struggling this year, as we've illustrated uh, from this discussion. So I think there's a pretty good chance that uh, Florida State and Washington uh, are in the top four. And then obviously Michigan has to play Ohio State. So one of them is getting knocked off. And then Georgia still has to play Alabama, right? So you'd expect, okay, the winner of Michigan, Ohio State, and the winner of Georgia, Alabama, I think it's very likely that those two could be in there. So that's kind of my early prediction for the final four. I see. And so you think a one-loss Michigan or a one-loss Ohio State will be excluded from the top four in favor of uh, 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 an undefeated Washington or an undefeated yes a uh, Florida State if they if they stay undefeated yes if now if they trip up if they trip up now it gets more interesting but if they stay undefeated and they're conference champions yeah no shot they're excluded yep okay you know what I think you're right that makes logical sense um, and uh, I'm trying to think of who who Florida State's going to be playing in the uh, ACC championship game like who 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 is good <laughs> other than them uh like you got notre dame right but they're not officially part of the acc of course that's true so they don't get a play in the conference championship game so who else um uh, i did a quick google uh louisville is currently the oh, second best they only have one loss yes louisville's the team okay interesting interesting but uh, again, I would I would look at that and say Florida State's got way more talent than Louisville, but Louisville's got a great coach. So, um, um, and then Washington also will have a really really difficult challenge. Whoever they end up playing in their conference championship, right? Whether it's Oregon or uh, since they have divisions, yeah, who's it yeah, going to be? That's true. Because if Washington wins this weekend, they're going to have the upper hand in a big way. 
for the North Division or whatever you want to call it. I don't even know what they call their divisions out there at the Pac-12. Uh, but they will they will be in the driver's seat for sure. So it's about who's who's from the South. It'd be USC or Arizona State or UCLA. I, I don't even know. Right. It's not Colorado. It's not Arizona State. Um, who the heck is it? <laughs> right. And I know you mentioned that uh, you want to make a comment about Michigan's place in these rankings as the number three team, of course, with all the controversy swirling with the sign stealing and all that kind of stuff. Right. You know, uh, so um, I was able to watch that, the, the broadcast, the ESPN for a little bit, um, just because I wanted to see what those rankings were before we had our podcast here this evening. And, and um, they interviewed the chairman of the committee and uh, I, I, I liked his comments and to summarize them as best I can, he basically said, our job is to look at, at what's going on on the field and we don't worry about any of that other stuff. That's for other people to deal with. That's the, that's the conferences problem. That's the NCAA's issues to deal with, not ours. So we're going to simply look at what's going on on the, on the field and not worry about that other stuff. If obviously a decision is made about eligibility or whatever by the NCAA, by the conference, whatever, you know, then obviously we'll take that into consideration at that point in time. But so they're not letting it affect them at all. And I think that's the right attitude, the right approach. They're basically saying, not our purview. You know, that's somebody else's job. We're just looking at at the field. And Michigan at this point, you know, has played a, a light schedule. But now in these next few weeks, they're going to play the, a couple of big boys and they'll be able to prove whether they belong or not. And if they end up winning those games and then win the big Big Ten championship, I think they will be in, right? Like that that's definitely going to happen. Right. Um, uh, uh, unless the NCAA or the Big Ten were to suspend uh, them in some way and say they can't continue. Right. Yeah, it would have to be something like that. And it's a little tough, right, to say that because we know, you know, it's kind of that uh, secret that no one talks about, you know, among coaches or whatever, that everybody does the science thing thing to some extent. It's just that Michigan's was so elaborate for, you know, a number of years and is now, you know, coming to the open light that they're getting a ton of scrutiny. Um, Correct. But yeah, I think you would, you would have to find something a little bit deeper, a little bit darker to like say they can't be in the playoff. Well, I, I would say, I'm not sure I agree with you on that. Even what has already come to light in terms of that level of sophistication and the impact it, it it has on the game, I would argue that that um, there's a number of games that may have not gone Michigan's way over the last two years if they weren't doing that. To me, that's huge. That's integrity of the game. So, mm-hmm. uh, but the issue that uh, is at play here, I think, is there's no way you can give this um, this issue, this investigation, it's proper due in the short period of time that we have left between now and the decision of that college football committee. So I think you have to let it play out. And, and if Michigan were to win out and win the national championship, the, the possibility will exist that that championship will be vacated at some point next year. Um, because of 
you know, the conclusions of that report, right, of that investigation. Mm-hmm. And but it'll have to be done in the in the, in the in arrears after the fact. Yeah. Cuz I just they just can't do it fast enough. I have a feeling that a lot of people at the NCA will be wearing Buckeyes jerseys uh when that game comes along. <laughs> yeah. Just because, yep, you know, just, if they end up in the playoff right and then the, the whole controversy gets magnified even more, you know, if they're one of the right. top four teams. You know, if if they don't get into the playoffs, it's not really even a big deal to the NCAA. At that point, it's more of a big, a big 10 issue. And the Big Ten is the reason there's some discussion about the Big Ten possibly assigning some punishment is that the Big Ten has a, uh, uh, a um, sportsmanship clause, right? in their in their rules that gives the uh commissioner a certain amount of latitude uh based on the the language of this sportsmanship clause and there's already enough data out there that clearly uh they could use that to suspend the coach for two games right right? anything more than that and they have to take it to this committee that has representatives from every university on it if they wanted to make the suspension greater than two games but the uh the commissioner can do two without uh, unilaterally without that committee mm, interesting. so so yeah so it'll be uh it'll be interesting to see what they do and when i say suspend it would mean suspending the coach right just harbaugh right um because he's ultimately responsible and frankly you know um all these people that try to keep arguing that, well, he didn't know. Uh, hey, we, we've already got an example this season of, uh, of, a, of a school that eliminated uh, a, uh, a coaching legend at their university, uh, um, even though there was a six-month investigation that concluded he didn't know, right? And then they fired him anyway. <laughs> they fired him. They didn't suspend him. They fired him. You know, this I didn't know thing, I think, carries no water yeah no i would agree two quick things uh one i i remember in all this talk about the michigan thing i saw a report that uh tcu in the playoff game last year were aware of michigan signs stealing and in fact uh had like fake signs basically prepared to like deceive them so they would like yes. you know say that they were doing hold up the sign that michigan recognized but then actually the players were looking at something else you know, and that that might have played a factor. The fact that they deceived Michigan's reliance on the sign ceiling uh, may have played a right. factor in their victory. Correct. Well, and that's the thing. And uh, you know, um, when you when you steal signs within a game, there's a certain guessing that almost is always a part of that. Um, even if you think you're right, um, you don't know you're right. But when you uh, have the opportunity to, to be as sophisticated as Michigan's program was, where they were going out gathering that data off uh, on, in a scouting situation, using digital uh, data so that it could be reviewed literally multiple times, maybe tens or hundreds of times. So you get every signal uh, down to a T, right, to where you, you're making the laminated sheets that we have seen in the photographs and things of that nature <clears throat> that dramatically changes the accuracy and the sophistication of what, you know, right. right. And right. so that's the part that differentiates what Michigan was doing from the traditional sign stealing, uh, conversations, you know, uh, and, and it just, I, I find it humorous the way that 
uh, Michigan's defense is the 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 the, the little grade school schoolyard defense of well Johnny's doing it too, and oh my my arch enemy bully is the one that started it. You know <laughs> that's the kind of stuff that they're coming up with and and and, and saying oh, well but we didn't know or our coach didn't know. All of those reactions are just to me don't hold any water. Right. They just don't hold any water. Now I'm not prepared to say they're guilty of uh, of all of this stuff. Uh, I mean I've heard a lot of stuff. If all the stuff that's in media right now is true, then then they're going to ultimately be found guilty. I think because this was very sophisticated and definitely would have had a huge impact. As somebody who coached high school football, never college. I will tell you right now that we had signals and, and if I knew what the play was as a defensive coordinator before the play, or I had a 90% chance to know whether it was a run or a pass or which side of the field it was on, whatever degree of knowledge that I could glean from that, that dramatically helps me. Right. So I think it's a big deal. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, and then just my second quick point is that actually the Pac-12 does not have divisions, so it's just the top two teams play each other at the end oh. of the year. So, um, oh, it could easily be Washington and Oregon again. It could be, yes. So, well, see, so that's a that's a tough. So the you know when you talked about those top six teams or whatever, I mean, um, you know, um, Florida State probably a reasonable chance of getting through their gauntlet without too much trouble. But Washington, that'll be a tough battle, right? To get through that game unscathed. Right. Because Oregon very easily could have beaten them in their previous game. So uh, it would definitely right. be a, another tough matchup. Um, but I don't know. I, I've been really impressed with what I've seen from Washington. They've got a great quarterback in Penix, right, who can throw the ball great. Yep. And then, Absolutely. like we mentioned, they've got some great rushing talent as well. So they've got a well-balanced yes. Uh, offensive scheme that I think suits them oh, well. I I totally agree. I think they're the best team out there. Uh, but uh, in the first game between them and Oregon, that was a barn burner, if I remember correctly, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Well, that was the one where Oregon kept going for two, right, and being super aggressive and fourth downs, and it didn't That's pay right. off for them. Right. So, I mean, I could see that being another nail-biter. Yeah, certainly could be. All right, so we'll be coming to you guys next week where we'll hopefully be talking about Nebraska's victory over Maryland. Uh, God, that would be great. <laughs> and uh, we'll talk about the various big games and the new playoff rankings and see how things shake out as we get to the end of the college football season. Yeah, so I, I want to finish on one thing now because, you know, obviously, you know, anybody who listens to this podcast is going to hear that I picked against the Cornhuskers and said that Maryland's going to win. Um, and I, I don't want to do that, Alex. I don't. <laughs> but, but until this team is able to demonstrate, you know, enough completeness, having all of that. But I, I, I just want to say I'm, I'm so happy with what Matt Rule and his coaches are doing. I think we're getting great coaching. I, I really do. And I, and, and as much as I complain about our offensive coordinators in-game play calling decisions, I don't dislike the offensive scheme and the plays that we're running. Uh, 
right? It's just when we run certain plays and what we emphasize that drives me crazy, right? And that's part of this incompleteness. And then the and then the continuing saga of our turnover uh, problems uh, that has plagued us for a decade is another thing that I just really, really struggle to understand. And it's probably the thing that uh, as a fan, I'm most frustrated with. But I, I just wanted to make sure I, ca- I came out with a positive comment to end the podcast about Matt Rule and his staff and what they're doing. And win or lose this week, I'm still a believer. There you go. Mom's message about positivity from last week is impacting you, I see. <laughs> there you go. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, if you out there enjoyed listening to this podcast, you can email us at huskerpeat13 at gmail.com. You can also find us if you search for College Football Throwdown on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can leave us a rating or review there. Uh, we always love hearing from the fans. So thank you all out there for listening, and thank you, Dad, for joining me for this episode. And until next time, go Big Red. Go Big Red. Go Big Red.